0: Follow Christ, pledge to Him my faith, Bound by duty to the cross I could obey.
1: truth in that song, amen? And interestingly enough, it's not your love for Christ that's talking about it, it's His love for you. It's His love for you and I that causes us, motivates us, moves us to serve Him, at least it ought to be. Your love can wax and wane, His never changes. So can mine. Thank God that He loves us. Well, that's the real motivating factor in the Christian life, is His love for us. What a wonderful thing it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. I'm going to read just three verses today, and then we'll kick things off. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 9. Again, our first service of the new year. It's a wonderful thing. Well, how important it is that the church of God meet together. The Bible says, "For not the assembling." It doesn't mean live stream. It certainly doesn't. Did you hear what I said? doesn't mean live streaming. We're meeting together in person. Why? We need each other. There's something about coming together with Christ in all of us. Something unique. It's something special. It's something absolutely necessary. It is essential. Yeah. Now, notice what the Bible says here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says, Know ye not that, the unrighteous, that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul's first visit to Corinth was... while he visited Corinth, I should say, was on his second missionary journey here. We find that in Acts chapter 18. and He had come from Athens, and he took a short journey and ended up in Corinth. Corinth was a proud, a very busy and intellectual city. It also had a notorious reputation as being fast and loose morally. Even their idolatrous worship was nothing more than perversion. Corruption, and immorality had taken root in every aspect of their culture and their society, making Corinth one of the most decadent, depraved, and devilish societies in history. When Paul arrives, he becomes acquainted with a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. They're a Jewish couple. They had recently been expelled from Rome because of the emperor's command. He found lodging with his new friends, and they worked together as tent makers. They also sought to reach the city for the Lord Jesus Christ together. We now have Paul writing the church at Corinth. And it is in this particular book, 1 Corinthians, that we're going to learn a very valuable lesson, a lesson that would do us good to be reminded on a regular basis. And so today I want to share a simple message with you and a simple truth that I believe will be a very good and very powerful help to you as you move forward this year And into the future. And so, without further ado, I want to have a word of prayer and we're going to get right into it because, as I found in the first service, I really had to fly about the last half of the message. And uh, so, I don't want to be forced to move too awfully quick and you missed the point. So, let's do our best to get started quickly and move rapidly, but uh, on purpose. Father, we thank you for this time together. We are needy people. I know in my own life, Lord, I cry out to you today asking you to fill me with your spirit. I desperately need your touch. Please anoint me with a holy unction. May I truly be your mouthpiece today. Father, people not see me, but you, the master. Father, I can do nothing to help these folks, but Lord, you can do everything that's needed and necessary. I pray that you would walk these aisles, speak to our hearts, and move in our lives May you change us today. You remind us of who we are and what we are in you. Lord, may we leave here encouraged to be better for you, and to accomplish everything that you purpose and plan for our lives. We love you. We thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. As we approach the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to note that the Apostle Paul deals with a couple of aspects of the the new believers. And, And first off, In chapters 1 through 6, we're going to see that he addresses and deals with what they are. We also could say their present faith. He's focusing on what they are or their present faith. If you would look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you're going to note that he immediately addresses them as saints. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, "...unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints." With all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excuse me, name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So immediately he identifies them as saints. Now again, there's a number of religions that may have what we call saints, but in many cases it's given to them based on merit. Can I tell you the only reason you are a saint today, as we're going to see in a moment, is because of the grace of God. You don't deserve it and neither do I. We, in our own uh, stand and in our own place and in our own righteousness, we have nothing to offer God. But thankfully, by way of grace, uh, we do. And we're thankful that we're saints today. And so he focuses on what they are. He says to them, you're saints today. Not only that, but he also points out further along in the chapter, as well as chapter three, that there's much contention and carnality among them. Uh, Turn, if you would, to, well, you're in chapter one. Look at verse 11. He says, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren. Well, you weren't in chapter one, were you? You were in chapter six. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm flying. In 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 11, he says, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, if I could just, uh, uh, I guess, visualize or or illustrate what contention means, it's this right here contention. Now, you've often experienced contention in your life, whether it be at work, maybe in the home, possibly in a relationship, contention. He says in the church there's contention. That's where they're at in their their Christian lives. That's their present faith involves this element of contention. But also carnality. Because in chapter 3, verse 1, he goes on to say, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. Carnal means fleshly. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, wherever there is envying, strife, and division, I can guarantee you there's flesh. That's not of God. And so he goes on to say, For ye are carnal, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? There's division in the church. There's strife in the church. There's contention in the church. There's carnality in the church. He says, that's where you are. (laughs) He goes on, however, later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to tell them their position in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm just going to read a verse or two very quickly to move, but in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, he says, For for we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 16 to say, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? That's an amazing statement to think, that literally the creator of all the universe lives inside me. And he's speaking to these Corinthians, and he's, he's, he understands, uh, he understands uh, them as a church. He was part of the church plant. He's the one that brought it into existence, so to speak. Obviously, God does the planting, and God does the, the, the sowing, I mean, not the sowing so much, but the, the gives the increase. I understand that. But Paul was an A a person who went into Corinth, preached the gospel, and seen tremendous results, and now there's a church there. He's writing to that church, and he's saying, listen, here's where you are. You are saints, but there's contention and carnality, but I want you to know your position in Christ. You are labors together with him. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. You're the temple of God, and he lives inside you. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 3, 23 to say, and you are Christ. Aren't you glad you're Christ today? if you know him as Savior and Lord. And finally, he talks about and he addresses and deals with this issue of sin in the camp. Later on again in chapter 5 and early on in chapter 6, he talks about the fact that it's reported commonly that there are fornication among you. There's fornication among you. Such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. He says, I speak to your shame in chapter 6, verse 5. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. So in chapters 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul takes the time to address this issue of what they are or their present faith. Then we find our text passage. We arrive there in chapter 6, verse 9. And he says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And now we're going to see that he goes through a list of lifestyles and sins. And you know what? He reminds them of what they were. Or he addresses their past failures. Now again, notice this. He says to them, no, you not. He says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He said, that's where you came from. That's what you were. So he lists those lifestyles. He lists those sins. But before you can blink, he's off the subject and he's moving forward. And he makes the statement, and such were some of you, but ye are sanctified. You're washed, he says, excuse me, you are sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He later goes on in chapter 6 to say, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. See, there he is right off the bat in the first six chapters. The first six chapters up through verse 8, and he's talking about what they are and their present faith. And now we find him in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, addressing and dealing with what they were and their past failures. Notice later on now for the next 10 chapters, he changes the direction a little bit. Now he's going to focus on what they're supposed to be. Or if you will, their promising future. And so for the next 10 chapters, he's going to answer some questions that had been sent to him. He had received of them. He's going to answer them and be able to explain to them the, God's expectation on them as a believer. So notice he says in verse chapter 7, 1, and you may not be there, but just notice he says, concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me. So they obviously sent a letter to him. He reviewed the letter and now he's writing back to address these issues so that they can move forward in their Christian lives. And he goes on to tell them what they're supposed to be. He addresses marriage in chapter 7. We know that he says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every man woman have her own husband. He addresses Christian liberty in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 12. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. There's a lot of emphasis put on liberty today. We're big about, well, God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the heart. Can I tell you something? Biblically and scripturally, God addresses this issue when he addresses chapter 8 and he tells people about their liberty. He says, basically, if you're going to offend a weaker brother, my friend, it is your sin now that we're dealing with. It's interesting how God places responsibility on us. It's not someone else's job to make sure that we're right with God. It's our job to make sure we're right with God and others. Well, I don't care what they think, and it doesn't matter how they feel. It matters to God how they think and feel because ultimately, if you wound a weaker brother or a weaker sister, that's sin that God holds you accountable for. And he's trying to express this need. He's trying to help these Christians understand some things because, see, what had happened was is that this culture was rooted in idolatry. We know that even their temple was a temple worship of, of fornication and sinfulness. There were a thousand a thousand women who basically were nothing more than prostitutes working at the the uh the um temple and let me tell you it was decadent it was sinful it was wicked and let me let me say this these christians were brought out of that lifestyle they came out of that thinking that was normal and natural and they move into the christian life and god says i'm going to have to help you because i'm concerned about your promising future but you have no future as long as you live in the past I've got to deal with this. And so he deals with marriage, and he deals with Christian liberty. He dares, deals with the care of God's man in 1 Corinthians 9. He deals with the Christian race. Also in chapter 9, when he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Again, he's dealing with what, they, uh, what, what they're supposed to be. He's focusing his attention on their promising future. He also deals with the Christian standard. Notice the difference. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 11. Notice what he talks about, what he says here. Chapter 10, verse 6, 1 Corinthians. We're dealing with a Christian standard. He says, now these things were our examples. Let me tell you, everything that God puts in this book is there for an example to you and I. He wants us to learn something from it. He doesn't put it there just for good reading. He doesn't do it just to keep our attention. He doesn't do it just to get us excited and say, boy, I can't wait to read the rest of the story. No, he's put it there to teach us something. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples that they Uh, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. He's trying to say, listen, we've got a higher standard than the old timers did, so to speak. We're believers in Christ. We've been saved by the blood. And he's setting the stage for their future. So what do we learn and what do we see here as we summarize this this, this whole book of 1 Corinthians? First of all, the first six chapters deals with their present faith who they are and Paul addresses it he faces it he deals with it and he identifies who they are and then the last 10 chapters he deals with their promising future or what they're supposed to be and we also noted that God spends just 3 verses concerning their past failures so we have 6 chapters with their present faith or who they were are that last 10 chapters deals with their promising future and what they're supposed to be, and just three verses in the entire book deals with their past failures or who they were. So here's the principle. Here's the thought. God is not concerned with who you were, but with who you are and where you're going. See, there is a biblical reality that we have to face and we have to understand, and we recognize it over in the book of Psalm. In Psalm chapter 103, verse 12, the Bible says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Your past failures are washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they are to be remembered no more. Matter of fact, in Micah 7, 19, he states, He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Your past failures are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And someone says, yeah, but I was saved a long time ago and I've made some horrible mistakes and I've sinned against God and man since. I'm telling you that that sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but salvation changes us from what we were to who we are. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are not who you used to be. That's a biblical fact. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made him to be sin, be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And not only do we note that there, the past failures are washed under the blood of the lamb to be remembered no more. Not only is salvation something that changes us from what we were to who we are but salvation begins a work that molds us into what God wants us to become and be. First uh, Philippians chapter one, verse six, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you, God is not concerned with who you were, but with who you are and where you're going. Now, I know we live in a world and in a culture today that emphasizes and focuses on past failures. And, and yet, I, I mean, I know that if you've made a mistake on, on the internet, or you've said something on Facebook, or, or, or did something that was wrong even, and, and now they tell you, oh boy, don't do anything wrong, don't put it on there, because people won't forget it. When you apply for a job, it'll come back up and you'll not have your job. Can I tell you, in heaven, God's good at keeping records, but when it comes to the believer, God washes them clean, God wipes it away, God does away with it for good and forever, but I'm going to tell you, if you are felt, feel like you are held back because of your past, I'm telling you, it's not God holding you back, friend. It's either yourself or somebody else that you're blaming. But I'm going to tell you something. God's not so concerned with your failures of the past as he is your promising future. We blame God so often for why we fail to do things. Well, I'm just afraid. If you only knew who I was, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew where I've been, I'm going to tell you something. God knows all of those things, and yet he's not as concerned about your past failures as he is your promising future. How many believers have found themselves paralyzed by fear to move forward in their Christian life? How many have felt like they don't deserve to be in a relationship with the God of heaven? I'm gonna tell you, it's a positive thing to see yourself small in the sight of a holy God, but it is not a positive thing as a believer to see yourself incapable of pleasing him now. Because you can and you will if you just simply obey. I'm telling you, he's not holding your past against you. He's not trying to keep you down. He's trying to help you move forward, and he's not as concerned about your past failures. No, not at all. He is concerned about your promising future. There are some biblical, some Bible examples, I should say, of this principle. We could look throughout the word of God and we could see people who struggled in their past and yet God used them in a mighty way. I think of Gideon. We'll not turn there because of time, but I'm telling you what, Gideon, we read about him, we know that the Midianites had uh, brought them into bondage And there was a whole nation that was fearful of the Midianites. It was as though they were enslaved to them. And they were indeed. But there's an angel of the Lord that shows up and he begins to speak to Gideon and he makes the statement, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. See, it's interesting how God seen Gideon, how he viewed Gideon. Gideon saw himself completely different than God saw him. Here's a man that's afraid, scared, fearful for his family and his future. And God views him and says, listen, I'm not looking at you for who you are even now or what you were. I'm looking at your promising future. I'm looking at a man that's going to do something great for me. Because he didn't care about his past and care about his present as much as he cared about his promising future. Gideon could have easily said, well, and he did. He tried to. Well, I'm nobody. I'm a nothing. Nothing. God says, does it really matter what you think? Who are you talking to, buster? You're talking to the God that created all things, and I created you. Let me tell you what, you're a mighty man of valor. Start acting like one. Because, see, God saw his promising future. I don't know, maybe you're in satanic bondage today. Maybe in application, you're enslaved by vice, or there's lust in your life, or a sin that you can't overcome Let me tell you something. Yeah, I understand we can find ourselves in a bad predicament. We can find ourselves in a difficult spot, but I promise you this, God is not going to hold that against you. You just need to take a step in the right direction because God sees you in your promising future. Confess that as sin, forsake it, repent of it. Yes, but go forward because God has a promising future for you. He's not looking at you like a failure. He's looking at you with a future. Then there's a man by the name of Jephthah. Turn, if you would, to Judges chapter 11, verse 1. How often does the devil use our past to hold us up, to keep us back, to cause us to feel unworthy even to serve the Lord, let alone do something mighty on his behalf? It happens all the time. We use our past often as an excuse not to accomplish what God's purpose and plan for our life is even. And he's saying to these Corinthians, who came out of one of the most decadent, one of the most wicked, sinful lifestyles, probably imaginable, and he's saying to them, I'm not worried about who you were, friend. Doesn't matter to me what happened in the past. What matters to me is your promising future, and can I tell you, he views us the same way. Notice it says in Judges 11.1, now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. Judges 11.1. He was a mighty man of valor, and he was of the son, was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Now listen, I don't know about you, but it kind of bothers me that Jephthah was held responsible for his situation when it was really his dad's fault. His dad made a bad decision, and as a result, he has a child. I thank the Lord that he was wise enough to keep his own child, though. So now here's Jephthah, and he's along here with his stepbrother, so to speak, and they're not happy with him. Hey, listen, we have a real mom. You don't. You're a mistake, Jephthah. I mean, if you want to be honest, Jephthah grew up the black sheep of the family. I mean, he knew what it meant to be lonely. He knew what it meant to be unloved and unwanted, I, I, I'm sure he could hear the words of, his, of his, his family as they mocked him and made fun of him. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. That, that Jephthah, he's a nobody. He's a nothing. I wish he was dead. I'm sure he heard things like that along the way. But you know what? Jephthah would not allow his past to drown his promising future. Before it was over, he was used to deliver God's people and to judge Israel for six years. As a matter of fact, his name is recorded in this book for us. See, the fact is today is that maybe you growed up experiencing rejection. Maybe you felt unloved and unwanted at some point. And now you look at your life and you feel like a big zero. You've been out in the world looking for love in all the wrong places even. I'm going to tell you something. God loves you and God cares about you. He's not as concerned about your past. And He doesn't want you to hold on to that thing. He wants you to let it go and focus on your promising future. Too many times we're holding on to it. You just don't understand how I grew up. God could never use me. You better let go of that past because God's not as concerned about who you were as he is about where you're going. Think of Paul the Apostle. Here he is standing before Agrippa. And he tells Agrippa in chapter 26, verse 16 through 19, but rise and stand upon thy feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and those things which I will appear unto thee. He's giving his testimony now to King Agrippa. It's toward the end of his life. He's not gonna live much longer. And he says, listen, I remember the day when Jesus Christ met me on that road. I remember who and what I was. I know I was a killer of Christians. I know that I put people in jail. I know that I opposed the cause of Christ. But God told me to deliver I'm going to deliver thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And he says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Man, I could have sat back and I could have just took a seat and said, you know what, God, I know you want me to serve you, but who am I to serve you? I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. Matter of fact, I've opposed you. i fought against you. I harmed and hurt yours. But Paul wouldn't allow his past to affect his promising future. See, maybe your past is riddled with regret. You've made some bad choices. You've done some horrible things, just like Paul the apostle. You say, God could never use me. Really? (laughs) It seems to me the only one that's really that concerned about your past is you, because it ain't God. You need to let go of the past, and you need to look toward your promising future you need to move forward because that's what God's concerned about. Six chapters on who they were. Ten chapters on what they were supposed to be. Only three verses on their past failures. What they were. And again, someone says, yeah, but I didn't get saved out of that sin. I was already saved and I committed sin. I don't care because the love of Jesus and the the love of Christ, the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ covers your sin. From the moment you were saved, you've been washed. And I know we get into all of this, well, what happens to my sin once I've been saved? I'll guarantee you it's under the same blood that the past was in because every single sin that you've committed was future when Jesus died for you. So ridiculous. We get all caught up in all of this mess. Jesus dies way back there 2,000 years ago. I got saved up here in the year uh, 2005, and all of a sudden I'm worried about these years and the sin I've committed. Let me tell you, that sin's just as much under the blood of my past before I got saved as the, the day that I... Now, now, here I stand. I'm messing up here. Stand up here, would you, Josh? <laughs> Let me make this a little clear. I got saved there, okay? And here I am today. The question is, not we never question the sin over here between the cross and our salvation. We don't question that. What we question is the sin from the time we were saved to the place we are today. Well, what's that sin do to my relationship? How does that affect my future? Can I tell you that the same blood that was shed 2,000 years ago to cover the sin of your past is the same blood that covers this sin here? You don't have to be saved again. You don't have to be washed again. You've been washed. Right. Now, your relationship is a, in effect here. It's a factor. Right. How, how you fellowship with God's the issue now. And if you're out of fellowship with God, then that affects your, 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 the blessings that he can bestow upon you. That affects your future when you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. That affects everything in eternity. But let me tell you something. Your sin's dealt with and addressed. You're a new creature in Christ. You're not the old man. You will never will be again. Thanks, brother. Paul the apostle gets saved. His life turns around. You got saved. Maybe you did all right for a while, but then you messed up. Let me tell you something. God's not pointing to your past any more than he pointed to Paul's past. He's looking at your future. He sees you like a Gideon today, and he says, listen, don't you let the past hold you back. Don't you let it bind you. You worry about what I'm worried about your promising future. Peter <laughs> in John chapter 13 turn there would you please? John chapter 13 verse 37. Peter was one of those very boisterous people. He was an outgoing kind of fella. And unfortunately, every once in a while he'd put his foot in his mouth. Sound familiar? And don't laugh at me, I'm laughing at you. We all put our foot in our mouth every once in a while, don't we? So we can identify with Peter. Notice what, he's, what goes on here in John chapter 13, verse 37. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? We know that Jesus Christ is coming to the end of his life. We know that he's going to ultimately hang on Calvary and be buried He begins to share some of this news with the disciples and Peter steps up and says, Lord, why why cannot I follow thee? I'll lay down my life for thee and thy sake. And I'll give it. Jesus answered him, would thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. I mean, Peter stands and he says, Lord, I'm going to join you I'll be side to side. We'll be locking arms. We're going forward together. I'll die for you. He says, really? You're going to betray me. You're not going to keep your word. It's interesting, as we look into the scriptures, it would be in the book of Acts chapter 2 that Peter goes on to preach at Pentecost and sees 3,000 people saved. We know he betrayed the Lord. We know that he failed to follow through with his promise. We know that he didn't keep his word. Maybe there have been promises and commitments that you failed to keep. Maybe life hasn't turned out quite like you planned or envisioned. But I want you to know that God's not as concerned about your past failures as he is your promising future. but I made some promises and I didn't keep them. God says, okay, forget that in the past. Let's go moving forward now for me. Get it right, deal with it, and go forward. Now, if you have to apologize for something, you need to make restitution, you do it. We don't talk much about that today because that's uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, if you've hurt or harmed people, you need to go back and address it and deal with it no matter how painful it is. Now, there are some exceptions to that. And I think honestly, before I would make up my own mind on what that is, I would seek my godly counsel that God gave me. I'd talk to my pastor about whether I should confront a situation or a person of my past. There are some situations maybe where it would be more detrimental, not only to you, but others around you. But that is very rare indeed. I remember one time, years ago, as just a kid. I wasn't very old at all. I shoplifted a candy bar. I remember going in this drugstore, next door, and this little store, drugstore, and, and I remember I went in there and I grabbed me a candy bar, I put it in my pocket, and I walked around a little bit. Man, I'll tell you what, I was shaking like a leaf. And I made my way out the door, and nobody grabbed me. And I thought, I'm going to never do that again. I thought for sure I'd get caught. Got into church some years later. And... Uh, The Lord spoke to my heart about that issue. I remember, I'm talking about years later now. I was an adult now. I still remember going back to that old store, and I walked in, and I said, hey, listen, is the manager here? Yeah, the manager's here. So I need to talk to the manager. I said, and they came, I said, what can I do for you? I said, well, I just want to tell you, I stole a candy bar years ago. He's like, what? I said, I stole a candy bar from you, and I come to pay for it, or Whatever you need to do. He said, Dude, I don't care about the candy bar now. And I said, Yeah, but God does. And I said, I had to come here and tell you because God wants me to tell you that. Because some things have changed in my life and I'm not living like that anymore. I'm trying to be honest the way God intended. He's like, Well, that's whatever, dude. I don't care. <laughs> I walked out of there with a weight off my shoulders. You say, That's no big deal. That's called restitution. That's something we don't talk about much today. So instead, we harbor our guilt. Instead, we hold on to it. Instead, Satan uses it to hold us back in the past. God's not all concerned about your past. Oh, you need to deal with it. Yes, if there's something you need to deal with. But the fact is he doesn't want you to be bound by it. I don't care how bad the mistake. I don't care what you did. Don't let the Satan use the past to keep you from your promising future. I think of Esther. She had no mom. She had no dad. She was raised by her cousin Mordecai. Before it's over with, she's queen, queen of Medo-Persia, a tremendous empire, a world empire, and ultimately, she is used to save the Jewish race, and we read about her to this day in the Word of God. I wonder, maybe you didn't have a dad or a mom growing up. Maybe you felt abandoned. Maybe they were taken in death early on in your life. And every once in a while, when you feel like you can do something, something drags you back, something holds you back. We go back to our childhood, and unfortunately, modern psychology likes to go back there and just live there and remind us of how scarred we are and bruised we are. But the Bible says you're new creatures in Christ. Let me tell you something. Your past is not what should control you, nor can it if you don't let it. It's your promising future God's concerned about. Well, I've gotten past that. How's come you talk about it all the time? How's come you allow it to affect how you deal with your children? Cannot let that past hold us back. God's not as concerned about your past as He is your promising future. And I'm going to tell you what, He's got a bright one for you. He spends just three short verses in the whole book of 1 Corinthians remembering the past. Isn't it funny how often we remember the past? And I'm not talking about in a good way. I'm talking about in a negative or critical manner. We spend a lot of time holding on to the past, dealing with the past, not God. He spends three short verses in an entire book. See, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he, that plan will never be fulfilled. That purpose will never be completed as long as you are rooted, grounded in the past. You've got to be free of the past. And that's why we see the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. We recognize him dealing with who they were, who they are, excuse me, who they are for six chapters. We see him dealing with what they're supposed to be for 10 Only three verses in the entire book does he focus on their past, and they had a past too. Years ago, I bought a green Chevy Impala. Now, if you're old enough, you remember how big they were. I could have driven that off of a dock in Lake Erie and kept floating. It was so big thing was massive. I mean, it's huge. Big old green thing. I still remember when, I, I mean, I was just a teenager. I was probably 18, my first car, and I've been looking for it, and and uh, I saw it in a newspaper. That's before we had all that other stuff. And it was in the ads, and I went and I looked at it, and there it was, that big old car. Man, I saw it, and I said, man, that's for me. I walked around it, looked at it, and it was beat up a little bit, and it was kind of rough, but Man, I mean to tell you, inside, inside, there was an eight-track player. Man, top of the line, baby. I was looking in my desk the other day, and there was a what Slim Whitman eight-track. And I thought, man, where'd that come from? And I thought, maybe it was that green Impala when I bought it. He left some of the gold goodies in uh, good old, what do they call them? Oldies but goodies in there. That's it. Slim Whitman. <laughs> That's rough, isn't it? But I took a walk around that car, and you know, it. it I mean, it was gonna. I, I guarantee you it was gonna be poor gas mileage. And in the muffler, it was it was cracked, and it made a lot of noise. And the windshield was cracked; it had a big old crack across it. And then I looked, and on the window there was a sign that said as is and it had $500 under it and I thought this is it man this is the car I paid the guy 500 bucks and man I went ahead and picked it up got it home and got it all licensed and everything can I tell you that car I bought it just like it was as is and you know what God bought you as is God bought your every sin, every flaw, every failure. He bought your every weakness, every sorrow, every burden, every care. He bought you as is that day. And can I tell you that He is the personification of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You didn't take advantage of some old man seated in the heavenlies that can't see, hear, or know what's going on. No, he is the God, the creator of the universe. He knew exactly what he was getting into. You didn't flamboozle him. You didn't pull the wool over his eyes. You didn't trick him into purchasing you that day. No, he bought you fully understanding it was an as-is proposition. You have no right to hold on to your past, and neither do I because you're not the same person and the past is not yours any longer. Who cares what you were? God doesn't. God's concerned with now and God is concerned with your future. See, this morning we've learned a very valuable lesson. God is not concerned with who you were but with who you are and where you're going. I wonder, where are you going today? It's the year 2021. Can you imagine? I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around that reality. It's 2021. Do you realize if nothing changes in your life, nothing changes in my life, we'll be in the same exact spot a year from now if God tarries us coming? Nothing will have changed in our spiritual life. What are you going to do different this year? What will you change in your life? What what will you do about your future so that you can embrace everything God has for you? I mean, let go of that past and reach out to him and experience your promising future. Maybe you're lost today. Can I tell you, you have no promising future. At this point, if you die without Jesus Christ, you'll go to a devil's hell and you'll burn forever. There is no way to paint it good. There's no way to say it nice. There is a hell that's real just like heaven's real. And sadly enough, if we don't trust Christ, if we don't believe in his finished work, if we don't receive and accept his sacrifice and have his blood applied to our life and our account, we'll pay for that sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But it's impossible to understand what that legitimately means. It means first, physical death. But we go over to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. And the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that we die twice. We die physically and then we die spiritually. Eternally separated from God forever. In a place called the lake of fire. Without him. All you have without Jesus Christ is now. You don't have tomorrow even. You have now. That's all that's guaranteed you. What provides the believer with such a promising future is that he or she now possesses the Savior, Jesus Christ. And they will live with him forever and ever and ever. Paul the Apostle had to come to the place where he recognized that all those credentials that he listed in the book of Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, all those credentials that made him such a wonderful Hebrew of the Hebrews was but done. That he had to forget the past. He couldn't stand on his deeds, his actions, his goodness. All he could depend upon was the love of Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus. The grace of our God. I wonder, has there been a time, a place in your life when you recognize yourself as the sinner that you are? Standing before a holy, perfect, righteous God, you fall so miserably short that you feel so unworthy that you want to crawl under that seat right now and say, God, don't even look at me. I'm, I'm worthless. Has there been a time when you felt that way before God and you finally cried out to him for mercy, knowing you don't deserve it, but believing based on his word that he would forgive, cleanse, and receive you unto himself? If you've never trusted Christ, you've never received him, I want you to know today's the day of salvation. Why don't you settle it today? Why don't you get it straight today and have a promising future? But believer, don't you allow the devil to keep you or hold you you captive to bind you with your past. Let your past go and take those steps into your promising future. God is not concerned with who you were but with who you are and where you're going. Decide today, you're gonna go in the right direction. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for that promising future that we have. And Lord, if there be any of those in our midst that do not know for sure heaven's their home, that have not received and accepted Christ as Savior, that they would settle that today, that they would allow themselves to know what it is to have a promising future, to have Christ in their life and in their future. Father, we need you today. We just pray for your leadership. Thank you again for just the encouragement to know that no matter what has transpired in our lives, no matter what we've done or anyone else has even done to us, cannot hold us back, cannot keep us from the future that you have for us, that you don't focus on our past. You spend so little time that it's here and gone. And if there were a people that had a horrible past, a wicked past, it would have been the Corinthians. And even in their church, there were things going awry. But he says, Listen, I want you to focus on what you're supposed to be. I want you to focus on your promising future. Lord, help us to do the same today. We'll thank you, we'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.